This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David and I'm the climate change editor at The Straits Times. It is the 16th of February. There is a growing global interest in ensuring that forests remain standing as a way to help mankind tackle climate change. Trees and their ability to soak up carbon dioxide are natural solutions to reducing the amount of planet-warming gases driving climate change in the atmosphere. But ensuring a forest remains standing can have multiple other benefits too. Benefits that an increasing number of state and corporate actors are paying attention to. But what are they and where are these forests with benefits located? We speak to Dr. Tasha Vadia-Sarira from the Centre for Nature-Based Climate Solutions at the National University of Singapore. Thanks for joining us today, Tasha. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So Tasha, we are all pretty familiar by now with the ability of a forest to taking carbon dioxide through photosynthesis and that reduces the impacts of climate change. But what are some other benefits that people may think less often about? So we can think of forests uh, as living ecosystems, right? So other than taking in carbon dioxide and storing them in their biomass, forests also host a variety of plant and animal species, with many parts of Southeast Asia being recognized as biodiversity hotspots. So some of these species, also known as pollinators, bees, beetles, butterflies, can also help to pollinate nearby crops for farmers to be able to grow their food. Not only that, Below-ground forest systems, such as soils and roots, also absorb minerals which could help improve the quality of water flowing into river streams. And all of these forest benefits are important because people in Southeast Asia depend on forests for their livelihoods, especially for those engaged in subsistence agriculture, where they grow food for themselves, or even in big cities who depend on groundwater for drinking. So, you know, forest conservation is just one kind of project that a lot of people have been talking about recently. I mean, other than like renewable energy projects, setting up solar farms, wind farms. But the benefits that you mentioned, you know, having pollinators or water regulation, uh, water quality improvement services, these are benefits that only forests um, can provide, right? So, for instance, you would not be able to reap all these benefits um, with the other kinds of climate projects. Yeah, so they're really unique to forest conservation projects because these benefits actually rely on uh, the functioning of forest um, ecosystems. But these co-benefits are not um, only limited to projects that focus on forest protection. So there are other types of carbon projects, such as uh, the ones that focus on reforestation and improved land management. And that can also reap very similar benefits, um, just at different extents and different timeframes. But I doubt like um, renewable energy projects, uh, they don't I don't think they will uh, provide the same benefits. But that being said, uh, these projects might actually have other co-benefits that we don't know much about at the moment. Now, Tasia, you and some of your um, fellow researchers from the Centre for Nature-Based Climate Solutions at the NUS uh, recently published a paper detailing where in Southeast Asia these forests with benefits can be found. What prompted this research? So we started thinking about carbon projects in one of the other work that I was involved in. Um, I was also from the Centre on Carbon Prospecting. And then at the same time, I was finishing up one of my chapters for my PhD, um, and it was on ecosystem services for the region. So then we thought, 
um, at this specific carbon price at 5.8 US dollars, you can avoid X amount of emissions from forest protection. But then what other services can the forest provide at the same price? So very simply put, we combine the projects together. And just so happened that we also started to recognize that there's increasing interest by investors to seek out carbon projects that consider other benefits beyond than just carbon. So can you summarize some of the key findings of that research? Um, and, and where in Southeast Asia can we find these forests with um, extra benefits or co-benefits? Yeah, so across Southeast Asia, um, there's 196 million hectares of forest. And around 60% of them, or 114 million hectares, can be financially viable as carbon projects if they're protected. So the protection of these forests would avoid 835 million tons of CO2 emissions from potential deforestation. And at the same time, because we protect these forests, the pollinators within um, are also protected. We can feed an equivalent of about 300,000 people a year from pollinator-dependent agriculture. And also because of how the forests actually function like a filtration system, it retains 78% of the volume of nitrogen pollutants in watersheds every year. And on top of that, carbon projects can also safeguard 25 million hectares of key biodiversity areas, which are areas that are recognized globally for their importance for biodiversity. And all of this at a carbon price of 5.8 US dollars per tonne of carbon. Areas that are also found to deliver some amount of all four benefits are mostly found in the forests of Thailand and Indonesia. But a large majority of these forests across the region can also deliver at least one other co-benefit other than carbon. And if the carbon price increases in the future, we'll be able to expect more co-benefits with more areas becoming financially viable as carbon projects. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. So Tasha, I just want to come back to what you said earlier about how you know there's increased corporate interest in quantifying co-benefits. So we know that forest conservation projects now can be a source of carbon credits. And so land developers too are finding that, okay, if I, if I buy a plot of land and I keep the forest on it standing, I would be able to to sell these carbon credits and that could be more beneficial than, say, like cutting it down for an oil palm plantation. And each ton of carbon dioxide that I save in this forest, I can sell it as a carbon credit. But if conserving a forest is more than just about carbon, how do these extra benefits figure in the price of a, you know, one of these carbon offsets currently? Currently, not yet. These co-benefits aren't actually reflected in a carbon price. They are reflected in verification standards such as uh, various climate, community and biodiversity standards, but not in the carbon price. Eventually, we hope uh, these co-benefits will be considered in carbon pricing, such that the benefits of these forests to biodiversity and people are more explicitly recognised. Can you elaborate more on the verification standards? So what what are these standards about? Verification standards uh, consider other benefits outside of carbon. So, for example, the various climate, community, and biodiversity standards um, uh, recognize other benefits um, such as freshwater income um, and things like that listed. And these projects have to fulfill these um, listed co-benefits. And having and recognizing these projects with their verification standards would give a premium to these projects that will also um, deliver that actually delivers both climate and other socioeconomic uh, benefits as well. So basically, these verification standards 
provide quantification of how much carbon is stored in a project. But if the project developer can prove that, you know, this plot of land provides other co-benefits as well, such as being biodiversity havens, then the developers would have the option to upgrade their project, kind of like going from economy to business class on an airplane. Yeah, you can think of it that way. Now that your study has detailed where these forests with benefits are located, how do you think this will impact the price of any carbon credits sold from these areas in the future? Because of the intrinsic value of these forests, and not only for climate change mitigation, but also the benefits to biodiversity and people, these projects should be able to command a higher price of carbon. At the same time, considering the co-benefits uh, would also meet a couple of the region's societal, environmental and economic goals. And what would you say is the importance of putting a price um, on all these co-benefits um, of a forest conservation project? And do you think it could lead to more forests being saved rather than being chopped down? Yeah, I think it would serve as an incentive for landholders across the region, especially to compete with lucrative industries such as palm oil plantations, to incentivize them to actually protect the forest rather than converting it to something else. Um, and at the same time, putting a price on the co-benefits will also recognize the specific carbon projects and communities that actually take the extra step to ensure that climate change mitigation is done in a way that it's ecologically and socially beneficial. So basically, land developers in the future could design their projects in a way that would offer all these other co-benefits as well, because hopefully that could nudge up the price of the carbon offsets that it will, they will be able to sell from this project. Yeah, that's right. And at the same time, get with the expansion of potential carbon projects in the region, we would likely also receive the co-benefits that are inherent to these forest areas in these carbon projects. Thank you, Tasha, for joining us today. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.